especially if you are here for the first time. Um, people tell me I'm an extrovert. I think I am, but even for me, it's hard to be in a new place, especially if it's a church. So I, I can imagine if you are here for the first time, I don't think that's an insignificant thing that you would take the step to be here. So we're uh, really glad you're here. And also for you to know, if you are here for the first time, you don't know people and you're thinking, man, they're really friendly to each other, but no one says hi to me. Um, probably about 50% of the people here are pretty new. So everyone's in kind of the same boat here. So um, most likely there's a good chance you're going to meet someone. You just to encourage you that that's uh, part of what we're doing in our community. A couple of uh, other announcements I did want to highlight. Next Sunday is going to be a special day for us. Not that um, the normal Sunday is not, but we're going to be having our anniversary service. Next Sunday, a lot of exciting things. We're going to be introducing, installing our new deacons, as well as uh, have some alumni visiting with us for homecoming. Um, a lot of different things. One, uh, we're going to have a picnic afterwards, so make plans to stay. We're going to have a picnic over at Roosevelt Park, uh, right up the block. Uh, everyone's invited. want you to be there. Um, we're also going to be having baptisms next Sunday. And baptisms at the village, it's a way for us, um, as as Bible has taught us, to demonstrate our faith through baptism. And if you have not been baptized as a follower of Jesus, we would love for you to be part of that. If you have questions about that, let us know. You can uh, put it down on your connection card or talk to me or someone else who looks like they know what they're doing, and we would love to give you more information. Uh, we do these every few months or so, but the next one, again, is going to be next Sunday. So if you are interested in that, please let us know. That's one of our favorite uh, worship gatherings when we're able to baptize folks who commit to following Jesus. Um, Kind of on a similar note, next Sunday is going to be a special time because it's going to be our last time that we are gathering all together in one service at 1030. And you might have heard we are multiplying. Uh, we don't want to use the word like whatever. It, it, it's a positive thing. We're multiplying the two services. There's going to be a service in the morning at 9 and then, or 930 and then 11. Um, children's ministry will be offered just in the in the morning service. Um, we want you to be aware part of that. I mean, it's pretty packed in here right now. And I know a lot of people are away for Labor Day holiday weekend. Um, last Sunday, it was re- literally standing room only. People were, you know, standing during service, which we, we don't want to do. The reason that we're doing these things is obviously as God is moving through and in our church, we want more and more people to hear about Jesus. And it's, it's as simple as that. So the more seats we can have, we feel that there's the more opportunity for people here. So that's why we're going to two services. What I'm going to ask you to do, if you're fairly committed here, um, you, the services are going to be the same. So if you miss one, I mean, you can always go to the other, but we're going to ask you in general to try to choose one that you'll make kind of your service and you get to know the people there. You're able to connect with the people there, welcome people there as well. So again, no one's going to be taking attendance. No, you're, you're an 11 o'clock one. You're not allowed. No one's going to do that. But, um, I, I would encourage you as, as some intentionality to keep that in mind. So we are, uh, what we're doing for the next few weeks is we're going to be doing this series, especially as we go into some of these thoughts of multiplication, um, all the more important as the church grows, as the church is connecting with more and more people, we have to be clear of what's important for us here as a church. And I want to make really clear up front, at the village, we put high priority on what we believe. Sometimes you'll hear from folks, you know what? Christianity ultimately is just, if we can just be people who love one another, man, why do we get, got to get bogged down in areas of beliefs or doctrine or theology? Man, all that does is divide people. We'd actually say, no, we, we don't, we don't think so. We think, uh, knowing what we believe is, is key. Knowing what we believe of, of who Jesus is, what the scriptures say, we think that's highly important. But the reason why I say that is 
I, I think sometimes there's a danger of looking at our faith primarily as a list of the things that we would view in a list of, say, doctrinal statements. Or, or there's a danger that we ultimately say being a Christian is being able to say you look at this sheet of paper and everything that's listed there, that's what makes you a Christian. Again, that, not that that's not important, but today I want to explore the idea together that if we're truly serious about knowing God, and I'm guessing if you're here on a beautiful day sitting inside a church building as nice as the air conditioning is, I'm guessing there's something within you that you're, you're serious about wanting to know who God is. And if we want to experience power in our lives, we cannot do it as God is fully designed if we're not walking together with other people. It's essential if we're going to follow Jesus as he's intended, we've got to do it together with other people. So we're just going to go back to the beginning of the Bible, and we'll have the verses up on the screen. But if you want, you can actually pick up a Bible in the benches there or, or if you have your own. But we're going to look at God's plan in creation first. And just for sake of time, we can't dig too deeply into this, but I would encourage you to read it. Bible, open source, you can read it on your own. Um, but we see how God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it in this first couple of chapters in Genesis. And we read this beautiful description of how God made everything. We, we read just how God had intentional plans of making this world and all that's in it. And it's really magnificent. And each day, as God creates a new segment of the world, as he creates heavens, as he creates land, as he creates waters, as he creates day and night, as he creates animals, and we all love animals, right? as he creates all the different things, um, the author describes it at the end of the day saying, God saw that it was good. So it's like he's giving his little stamp of proof and say, yeah, that's good. Yo, you see, you, you see, that, you, you see that star? Yo, that, he's saying it was good. But then we read of the final thing that God creates and discover that crown, God's crowning work is humanity, is man. He punctuates it with a, it was very good. It was very good. And then we read, and, and this verse from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And um, I think within every single one of us, as different as we might be from one another, there's something inherent within every single one of us as, as a human being that we want to share with others when we're part of creating something really beautiful. When we're part of something coming to life that's, that we think is beautiful, we want to share it. That's why when, when, um, when people have a, a baby, for instance, there's a, a, an announcement, right? A birth announcement to saying, look at this beautiful thing, person, little, that was created. Celebrate with us. Isn't, isn't it gorgeous? Isn't she beautiful? Or, or maybe someone, uh, for some of you who are artists, or you know artists, or musicians, when you've put your soul into something, you've made like a beautiful um, uh, just set of drawings, or maybe you've put your heart into creating an album, what do you do? You have a release party or your gallery opening, right? You want to share that with people for people to come join and say, wow, look at the glorious things that you've put yourself towards. This is beautiful, and you celebrate it together. And the reason that that resonates within every single one of our hearts is we're just reflecting our God. Because we see that our God, he's a creator God. And it gives us a glimpse of God's heart. So when we read that last verse we just looked at there, 
we notice the communal nature of God. You might have been confused because it says, God said, let us make man in our image. You're like, who's God talking to? Is he like talking to angels or is he talking to like elephants or what, 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 what's he talking about? I mean, this is basically the first understanding of the Trinity, the triune God, that God is one in three persons. And if you have real deep questions about that, we can talk more. Um, but basically, there's this idea that God expresses himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. So he's talking amongst himself. I know that's hard to wrap your minds around. He's talking amongst his own persons, and he has just brought to life this beautiful world. He's just brought through his word, brought to life this beautiful world, and basically it's saying, it's too good to keep to myself. This is just too good to keep to ourselves. And the wonder and the majesty of this life that's brought forth, brought forth it has to be shared. It's got to be shared and enjoyed. And thus, God creates man in his image so that, and his likeness so that they can live in this world. That they can rule over this world and enjoy this creation and share it. And then we read further. And we see that this principle of creation uh, being shared, it also applies to God's newly created man. So if you read chapters 1 and 2 together, they work in tandem to tell the same story. And we read in chapter 2, verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So you and I, we can read that like, Oh man, Adam was alone. And we like get the picture of like emo Adam. Like, if you know what I'm talking about, like, emo Adam, like, he's just moping around. Oh, man, I'm so lonely, you know. If I just had another one to walk with me through the gardens, life would be great. But I'm so sad. I'm so depressed. I wish I had another. You know, I love these monkeys, but they're just not enough. And, you know, you, can only, you can't talk to a banana. Yeah, you, we can think like emo Adam, but you have to remember, creation was still perfect in all its glory. Sin had not entered creation. So there was no um, brokenness. So we would say Adam, he was not lonely in like a depressed state. It, but it's almost like God looks at creation and goes, wow, this world is just beautiful. Man, I'm God, but wow, look at what I made. It's, it's magnificent. And it's too beautiful for just, for just one person to enjoy by himself. This got to be shared. This has to be shared. So God, in his mercy and in his great love for Adam gives Adam Eve, the woman Eve. And what you're observing then is the first community with, I mean, talk about a triad, right? God, Adam, and Eve together here. And, and this God, who is a communal himself, he's shown that it's good and it's true for um, the human beings to truly understand that to live in the presence of God that if we are to live out the purposes of God, if we are going to fulfill who we are meant to be on this earth, it requires walking together with other people. This is not meant to be a solo gig. It's meant to be done together with other people. So that's really good. But then we fast forward to get really bad really quickly. So things take an ugly turn in Genesis chapter 3. And it describes the most tragic of days where the human race falls, basically rebels against God gives him a big middle finger, says we're going to do whatever we want to do and become separated from communion with God. So the vertical relation with God and his beautiful, beloved creation gets shattered. That gets shattered, but we also see that another relationship 
gets shattered. This is the horizontal one between Adam and Eve. Whereas before this point, all they had was love for one another. All they had was sacrifice for one another. All they did was walk around, and they were naked together, and it was all good, right? But we see that it goes really bad and turns into the blame game. God says, what happened? And Adam says, yo, it's that woman you gave me. (laughs) Things are great until you gave me that woman. And Eve says, yo, God, it was that snake. (laughs) If we didn't have the snake, we'd be all good here. Basically, it turns into the blame game, but it also turns into the pain game. Genesis 3, 16, we have this up here, right? To the woman, God has to give certain just consequences for their rebellion. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And guys, there are a lot of different interpretations on that, that second part of that verse there, on that your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. A lot of interpretations. But I think one simple thing we can pull out of that, what was originally created to be the most loving, intimate, tender of relationships, intertwining of lives is now going to lead to pain. Even in the most intimate and joyful of relationships. And and we all experience this, right? Like, like we have this idea and you're taught whether you're from like watching Disney movies when you're little to watching like Hollywood uh, rom-com films, all that. You're taught that ultimately, even though you're sad, mopey you, if you can just find that person who completes you, if you can find that prince, knight in shining armor, who's going to rescue you, then you're going to be complete. Then you'll be happy. Then all the miserableness will go away, right? Um, if, if you want your life to really, really struggle and find out how much of a sinner you are, get married. <laughs> It's going to reveal and draw out in you all of the ways that you are not loving, that you are selfish, that you're self-centered, that you don't like to think about other people. Because the, the truth is, pain is involved in many of relationships, but it's interesting how the deeper the relationship goes, the deeper the pain can feel like. So say one of you, if this is your first time here today, and after service, you are just moved by God, right? After service, you come up to tell me, yo, pastor, that was like the worst sermon I ever heard in my life. Yo, you can't preach, man. All you do is yell a lot, but there's nothing there you're talking about. This is horrible. I don't, I don't know why all these people are here. This church, man, you should just close it down now. Um, I'm human, so I'm going to be, oh, okay. Um, that's all right. You don't, you don't have to like me. And I'll, I'll stew over it probably a little bit. Until I go home and eat lunch, then I'll be all good, right? I'm just a little hangry by then. Just get a little food in me. I'm, I'm good now. Okay, that was just a bad day. But if my wife and I, if my wife and I have a beef, if my wife and I have an issue between us, if, I, if, if either I do something or she does something, but there's some kind of conflict within us, yo, I won't be able to sleep for like days. That will be like I'm trying to work and I can't think of anything else. Because she's like the closest person I have in my life. So the degree of closeness in relationship, it just exacerbates the pain when there's pain involved. And, and, and it's just fascinating because the sense of the brokenness and the pain of relationships. Because someone can hurt you, but when they're supposed to be like the closest person to you and they hurt you, it feels like a knife that's a lot bigger. 
it, the degree uh, goes up depending on how close you are. And, and the fascinating thing about the human race is that no matter how divided we think we are, how different we are from one another, how different ethnically, color of our skin, where we're born, socioeconomic, uh, Muslim in the Middle East versus uh, fundamentalist Christian in the U.S., wherever you are in the world, the one common thing is we all experience the brokenness of relationships. We all experience the pain of having love that's not returned. We all experience the pain of what it means to have your heart shattered. We all experience commonly the pain of betrayal. And everyone writes songs about it, right? It, it can be all different. It can be a hip-hop song about it. It can be like an indie um, folk tune about it. It can be a country western. But they're all singing about the same thing. Oh, my heart hurts. People stink. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Swift has made like her whole career about that, Right? I mean, people, like, I can't get this right. It hurts. Because this brokenness of relationship that Adam and Eve experienced, that transcends cultural boundaries. That's a human condition. And if we read further from after Genesis 3, it starts with Adam and Eve, but this broken community, it just spirals worse and worse out of control from this point on. If you would read further, you would see that Adam and Eve's son, Cain, he ends up murdering his own brother. He ends up murdering his own brother, and it just gets worse and worse from there for human condition as we read through the scriptures. And the human race, it becomes this history of envy and hate and bigotry and division and violence and war. And it's probably difficult for you and me sitting right now here in 2015 Baltimore to fathom uh, because the world you and I live in is pretty jacked up. You know, no one needs to convince you of that. But that's not how it was supposed to be. And that's why we're looking at the creation account. Because the way God had originally created all of this, it was not to encompass this brokenness. We were not meant to have this hate amongst one another. We were not to be divided. For you and I, that's just life, right? We're just ex- we just believe that's normal. Um, but humanity was created to live and to walk in harmonious unity. And then they experience brokenness, which would cycle more and more out of control. And that's why when we talk about sin at our church, um, a lot of times, depending on your background, you might hear sin. And well, what's sin? And you think of a list of different moral issues. And, and I'm not saying that's not sin. Like, don't do these different bad things. That's, that, that's definitely sin. But we would say along with that, Sin is not just a moral thing, but it's also a relational issue. Sin is also seen in relational issues that were broken from God, but also broken with one another. And the fact that we're broken with one another, that's what sin is. Where we were meant to be united. We were meant to love perfectly. Now we have been shattered along all these different lines. And, and into that context, Jesus came. Praise God for Jesus, right? Praise God for Jesus. Because in that context, Jesus came and, and he just brought revolution. He flipped everything upside down. He was the reconciler. And, and the apostle Paul, he describes what Jesus did. Um, as we look at the book of Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. And Paul is writing here. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. So Paul is writing to people who are not Jewish, right? To you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. 
which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Basically, he's saying, you who were not Jewish, you had no part in this story before. This was not yours. You were separated because you were not the sealed people. You were not circumcised. You were the uncircumcised. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. That's a lot of words. So let me, let me break it down. Um, imagine, in your, in your imagination, imagine the two groups of people that you cannot picture hanging out together. Um, for some of us, that will mean radical fundamentalist um, Muslim and radical fundamentalist Christian. Or for some of us, that'll mean um, hardcore liberal Democrat or hardcore... Um, conservative Republican. For some of us, we'll mean um, just totally all the way Black Lives Matter activists to all lives matter, non-Black Lives Matter activists. Like, imagine the two groups of people, two class of people, you cannot picture getting along. Imagine the people that you can't say, yeah, they would not go on Friday night to grab a drink together. That, that wouldn't be happening. Imagine that because Paul what he's talking to, he's talking to Gentiles who have always been considered less than by the people of God. Always considered not part of it. And Paul, what he's saying is, now in Jesus, what Jesus has done when he came on the cross, he's destroyed the things that always just divide us. And his sacrifice, he's made out of the two, one. He's brought us together where we were once divided. And that's amazing news. Because as much as it's hard for you to imagine two different groups of people being together, for that day and age, when they hear Paul writing saying, yo, you're all in one family now. That's crazy. They would not have been able to believe what, what, what Paul's writing. No, 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 that's not how it works. We're the people of God. No, no, now you're all the people of God in Christ. Because what Paul is describing and what Jesus has ushered in is when we talk about being a new community through these kinds of eyes, seriously, God, it's not just us holding hands together and singing kumbaya and saying, oh, isn't it great how much we love one another? Um, it's the power of seeing those who were once separated by all different means, who you could never imagine being united, being brought into right relation with God first and then with one another. It's the power of reconciliation. And you hear that word a lot in the gospel, right? Reconciliation. Because just as sometimes the, the best way that you can see your sin is in the context of your relationship with other people, um, the knowledge of Christ's redemption in your life can most clearly be seen through the power of the relationships that are rebuilt. Just as much as what I'm saying is just as much as we see how jacked up we are because of our relationships, now in Christ, we see how powerful God is through the relationships that are rebuilt in him. 
that there is a loving God who's come to break the cycle of brokenness and hurt and self-preservation and, and to come to restore human creation into the loving cr- community that we were originally intended to be. These guys, love as displayed in the community who follows Jesus is a powerful force. And that's why here at the church, you're going to hear words like, um, like community, connection, belonging, how many different synonyms you can find about that stuff. You're going to hear a lot of that around here. And it, it really, it's not just to make us feel warm and fuzzy. It's not just to tell us, man, no more lonely Friday nights for you. Now you got family. It's really not that. But this is, I would say, the, one of the most visible expressions of a real life that's been transformed by Jesus. When we have new community with one another. So what it means is this. Usually, and if you've been part of church for a long time, you'll know what I'm saying here. When someone asks you, how are, how's your spiritual life? That's code for how many times did you read your Bible this week? How many minutes have you been praying? How many quiet times did you do? Um, how much you're doing? There? How many church services you went to? That's usually code. Um, and, and we list off different things. But what I'm going to suggest in our church, in our community here, when someone asks how you're doing, doing spiritually, you need to ask yourself, how am I connected to my community? How am I doing in my relations with one another here? Am I growing in deeper love and deeper servants and, and, and just deeper humility with one another? Because, guys, here's what I'm going to suggest. Walking together in a church like ours, in a community like ours, it's going to be God's way of continuing to show you how much you need him. Walking together with one another, it's going to be God's way to show you, hey, this is how you still need my power and my grace and mercy in your life. Because let's just be honest here. Some of you are really good. And I, I'm not like trying to elevate you. I mean, you're good. Like objectively, people would look at you and say, that, that is a fine citizen of the United States. If my child could grow up to be like him or her, I would be very happy at the end of the day. That's, that's just some of us here. You're a good, you're a decent person. And, and the truth is, when the pastor tells you, you need Jesus, you need change, you're like, yeah, yeah, I guess I could develop some better habits, but I'm not bad. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm okay. That, that message is for that really broken person over there. Oh, she really needs Jesus. I mean, she's not even standing up in here. I mean, she needs Jesus. I, I, yeah, I, of course, I know I need Jesus, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know how you're going to know you need Jesus? When you start getting close enough in community with some people that you're going to get tired of being patient (laughs) because you're going to run into some hard-hearted people. You're going to get tired of being generous because you're going to keep getting pressed upon you to share more of your time, share more of your money, share more of your energy, and you're going to get to a point and say, I don't have any more. You're going to get to a point where you don't want to serve anymore. You're going to be can someone else do that? Why do I got to be the one to help? Because when you walk together with other people, those are the ways that you get to live out what it means to be in Christ. All of the love is, right, from 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. All those things, you need other people to do that. You need someone else to be patient with. You need someone else to be kind to. You definitely need someone else to be generous. You need other people to live out who God wants you to be. That's why we need one another, guys. And, and I'm really excited at some opportunities we're having in our church. And we're going to be unveiling this within the next couple of weeks. But our plan right now, because you can tell we're growing larger as a Sunday community, which is awesome. That means more people are hearing about Jesus. But the reality is it's going to get harder and harder to really connect with one another. 
I mean, you're going to be like, I only have certain capacity. I cannot meet all these people. I cannot minister to everyone here. So what we're, what we're uh, going to be unveiling is we're looking at how we can be more effective within our city to live in community together. So we are thinking we're going to be having these different regional groups, whether obviously there's going to be one in Hamden and some other areas, um, probably Waverly and Northeast Baltimore. Um, do not, don't follow my hand. That's not the right geography. But different areas of the city where it's almost going to function like a bigger church than a small group, but smaller than a Sunday church. It's going to be a little bit more manageable, a little smaller. But in a sense, that will almost be like the community you walk with. And within those larger groups, there are going to be smaller groups that meet together and probably like once a month get together to celebrate and to get to know one another and be, be in fellowship. But that's what we're thinking. And we're just getting that into your brains because we want you to start thinking about how you can get plugged into one of those. And we're going to announce those soon, how you can get connected into one of those, how you can commit to one of these regional communities. And as I say that, some of you automatically, first thing comes in your mind is, yeah, I'm good. I don't need any more friends. And what I would tell you is this is not about making more friends. You don't, maybe you don't need more friends. I know I don't need more friends. This is not about needing more friends. But what it's saying is if you're serious about living as a follower of Jesus, you need to live that out together with others in community. It, it just won't happen otherwise. And for us at the village, um, living that out, it's also going to be expressed cross-culturally. I mean, you might notice if you're here, when we talk about cross-cultural ministry in our church, what that means is people of a lot of different ethnicities. It means people of a lot of different backgrounds, whether you're born and bred in Baltimore or you're transplanted here. It means people who are uh, maybe professionals or maybe you're a student. It means people in a lot of different life stages. It means people in a lot of different socioeconomic classes. Um, Multicultural means all of those different people coming together to be one church. And for us then, community has to look like, what does it mean to cross barriers that normally society would say you don't cross that? Um, Because as as I look at our world, it's really funny because our our, um, smarter people than me had promised like generations ago, you know what? We're progressing as a society. The more educated we get, the more opportunities we get to like get smarter and to develop and the more um, opportunities we have to be connected. I talked about last week, the world is getting flatter. We can commune with anyone. The more that happens, the more united we're going to get as a society. Isn't it great? And then I look at our world, and I, I kind of feel like we're getting more and more divided. <laughs> I feel like we're getting more and more angry. People, if anything, the smarter we're getting, the more and more we're getting divided along ethnic lines. Race is becoming that much more significant. Class is becoming that much more significant. And yeah, we know a whole lot more, but it doesn't mean we're any more united. If anything, we're more divided. And in that context... In that world that we live in, I genuinely believe that reconciliation across cultures will be one of the greatest evidences we have of the Christian faith. That in a world that's divided, in a world where, I mean, all you do is got to go on Twitter for an hour and you're going to see it, right? In a world where people hate each other, who say you're the exact, in a world like that, when we are united as a church, it's going to create an incredibly strong statement about who Jesus is and his power. You know how I, uh, how I view it? 
what the way I describe it is on a nice day like this, as you're all leaving right after service and you're going out the front steps, a whole mass of you, that people driving along or walking along are just like, this is how they are. What's going on in there? Because our society is not used to all of these different people congregating together in one place. I mean, one pastor friend of mine, he said, the only time you see such extreme diversity, it's either drugs or Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hopefully it won't be drugs for us, but it's going to be Jesus. Because in a divided city, in a divided culture, the powerful statement we get to make as you stand one next to one another who might be very different than you. I mean, heck, you might be sitting next to someone here who you would have nothing in common with anywhere else. But because of Jesus, you're sitting in the same place, singing the same songs, uniting your hearts together, hopefully taking the step to get into a smaller community with someone, sharing your life, starting to walk together, eating meals together. That says a huge statement about the power of Jesus. And, you know, there's this thing in our, um, in our society called mob mentality, and you might have seen it. Mob mentality, mob, mob, herd, whatever you want to call it, mentality, is basically a whole group of people who follow the mob, who follow the herd. And it looks like things like riots. And it's not just riots. I mean, it's like college campuses when someone wins a football game and the whole campus goes crazy. And they start flipping over cop cars. You never see that on the news, though, right? You never see thugs. That's just college students doing their thing, right? But mob mentality, what it means is basically um, someone probably doing something that they would most likely not do because the whole group is doing it. And sociologically, they've done studies to say so many people end up doing really dumb things just because everyone else around them is doing it. And probably when they're on their own, they wouldn't do it. And... Following the crowd can cause people to do some incredibly destructive things, incredibly hateful things, incredibly violent things. But the gospel can redeem that. What I mean by that is walking with others in a community who are impacted by the message of Jesus, it can be a powerful force not to get you to do things that you would never do in a negative way, but get you to do things and be involved and give yourself to things that you would never do by yourself because you see someone else in your community doing it. So instead of becoming a riotous mob, you start to say, you know what? I would never like tell people about Jesus. That's crazy. I can, but wow, my community, they're, they're becoming more open and you suddenly develop courage because you're like, I'm not the only freak here. You know, I could never live a sacrificial life where I give my money to something, but wow, a whole group of people are doing that together. They believe I, I can take steps to do that. Oh, wow. You know what? I could never change that relationship in my life because I'm too tied to that guy, to that girl. I, I could never. I know it's probably not honoring. I can never. Oh, but wow. A lot of people in my community are, are trying to honor God in their relationships. I'm not the only one doing this. And where the crowd can work in a positive way when the gospel impacts it is to say it will empower you to do and live and say and act and respond in ways that you might never have the courage to do by yourself but because you have a community around you that does it together, you're like, I can do this. I can do this. Now, I'm going to say um, it's not easy. 
It's walking with others is not easy at any church. I mean, walking with others at any church is not easy. I'm going to say living out reconciliation in a church like ours that's diverse is that much harder. It's really hard. I mean, it's really hard to feel close to people who you feel sociologically, culturally different than you. It's really not easy. But, but Village Church, what I'm going to suggest to you is that seeking to live that out together in a, in a, grout, groom, a room like this in reconciliation is what will draw us to the power of Christ. Trying to live like that with one another, trying to cross boundaries with one another, trying to love and be friends and be brothers and sisters with people that maybe you don't have much in common with, it's going to require you to look at the power of Christ as described in Ephesians there that transcends boundaries, that can defeat sin, that can defeat walls, and break down things that have always divided. And when you experience a God that that's powerful, you're drawn to the cross. Because ultimately, when we look at the cross, it, it's about God who, in all his power, gave himself up in the form of Christ and fully surrendered himself and, and was broken and was bloodied and ultimately to the point of death so that a broken humankind in him could be reconciled. So when you try to live in reconciliation with someone, what you're doing is you're saying, God, I need a power far greater than what I have. And we're drawn to the cross. And that's what we do when we celebrate communion. We come and remember Jesus, the one who unites us into this community. So let me ask you to stand up with me right now as we uh, prepare to close here. I'm going to invite our worship team up. We're going to sing. We're going to respond in song. We're going to respond in prayer. Some of you, maybe the best thing you can do is pray. For some of you, if you are a Christian, I would invite you during this next time, next few minutes, to come to the table and take a piece of the wafer in the middle and come up from both sides, dip it into the cup, and be reminded of the broken body of Jesus that unites.